the sermon from St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, preached for the third Sunday in Advent on December 12, 2010. The text is Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. Now when John had heard in prison of the works of the Christ, and had sent through his disciples, he said to him, Are you the coming one, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied and said to them, Go, report to John what you hear and see. The blind see again, and the lame walk. Lepers are healed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have good news proclaimed to them. Blessed is everyone who isn't fatally trapped due to me. As they were going, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed being swayed by the wind? Well then, what did you go out to see? A man finely dressed in soft clothes? Behold, those who wear soft clothes are in king's palaces. Well then, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. For he is the one about whom it's written, Behold, I indeed am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, no one born of women has arisen greater than John the baptizer, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. This is the word of our Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God through which the Holy Spirit cheers our hearts with Jesus is the gospel for today, Matthew 11, verses 2 through 11. Dear friends in Christ, fellow redeemed children of God, it's the most wonderful time of the year with kids jingle-belling and everyone telling you, be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year or is it? Yes, to celebrate, to gather with family and friends, to remember the birth of our Savior is indeed wonderful. But along with all that comes the frenzy and stress, the disappointed expectations, the heartbreaks, the loneliness, and at times even a hopelessness. It seems like some of those were the feelings that John was experiencing as we hear about him in the text here. You remember John. We talked about him last week. We met him in the wild areas along the Jordan wearing coarse camel's hair and a leather belt. He was baptizing the people and preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. But now, just a few months later, he's in prison. What had happened? Well, here's the background in brief. King Herod, the great, and I think that's, that's the Herod we're all familiar with from when the wise men came to see Jesus. King Herod the Great had died some, almost 30 years before this, but he had several sons who ruled various parts under the Roman emperor. One of those sons' names was Herod Philip. He married his niece, Herodias. And after 
he fell out of favor with the emperor and lost his region to rule, he and his wife Herodias moved to Rome. While there, his half-brother Herod Antipas, another son of Herod the Great, visited them. And there, well in Rome, Herod Antipas fell in love with Herodias, his brother's wife. So he arranged to have his first wife divorced and then married Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and then came back to Galilee where he was reigning. John told him that this was not right. And so he threw John the Baptist into prison. That's what we have here. Do you think that's where John expected his ministry to be going? He was the forerunner of the Messiah. How was he to prepare the way if he's sitting there in prison? Now John realized and gladly accepted that he would become less as the focus came more and more on to the Christ. And he had freely confessed that he wasn't even fit to carry the sandals of the anointed one. But remember that he had also preached about the axe being across the roots of the trees already, that the coming one had the winnowing fork in his hand to separate his grain from the chaff, the chaff that would be burnt in unquenchable fire. Where was that justice? Where was God's judgment against the wicked as John, God's messenger, lingers there in prison? Can you empathize with John in his struggle? How could this be God's plan? Why weren't God's promises being fulfilled? How much longer would this suffering continue? Yes, John knew that, that, that Jesus had to be the one, just like you and I know that. John knew it had to be, Jesus had to be the one because he saw the Holy Spirit descend and remain on Jesus as God had promised. But, but what about those acts of judgment? Was maybe another one coming? who would carry those out? Can you, dear friends, can you empathize with John's struggle of faith, his spiritual questions, his doubts and confusion? But John knew where to turn. He knew where to find help. He sends two of his disciples to go and ask Jesus. Jesus is the one. And how did Jesus help John? Well, he points John to the scriptures, but not in a mechanical kind of way that simply says, read your Bible more. No, no. He draws John and us into the fulfillment of the prophecies. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear. Yes, He's bringing to mind what the prophets had foretold. He is saying to John, despite your spiritual struggles, recall the prophecies of old. Yes, you yourselves, you just heard one of those prophecies from Isaiah chapter 35, describing the work of the Messiah in similar terms, didn't you? Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer. Yes, Jesus is saying to John, despite your struggles of faith, recall the prophecies of old and see my ministry fulfilling them one by one. Yes, and, and doing even more, for even the dead are raised and good news is preached to the poor. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, 
describes the work of the Messiah as preaching good news to the poor in spirit. And what a way to summarize Jesus' saving work. To the poor, like you and me, who see our inborn spiritual bankruptcy, who feel the weight of the debt of our sin, who stand before God as penniless beggars. What great good news Jesus brings to you as he says to you, your debt is forgiven. Your sin is paid for. God's riches are yours at at my expense, Jesus says. Yes, at Christ's expense. What gracious good news to our poor souls. Jesus is the one. He proclaims that good news for you and for me to hear and to take to heart. And what blessed work Jesus was doing. Now, I realize that you don't have disciples to send to Jesus to ask him your questions and get answers like John did. But God has given you a pastor. And that's one reason you provide for my family and myself instead of having me get a second job is so that I can be spending time studying God's word regularly, ready to apply it for you. That's one of the purposes of the sermon here each and every week. And yet, sometimes any given sermon may not address the particular question or problem you're facing that week. Bible class offers opportunity to ask specific questions. And if a public Bible class isn't appropriate for your question or problem, I'm here to visit one-on-one and to, to counsel from God's word as the need arises. Yes, my skills are are limited. They have their weaknesses, unlike Jesus. But my prayer is to be able to lead you deeper into that life-giving word. Not simply echoing, you should read your Bibles more, or relying on the gimmicks of this world, but drawing us deeper into that word, which is the sword of the Spirit, the balm of Gilead that heals our sin-sick souls. Sometimes that word of God is difficult. And I don't mean simply hard to understand. Yes, sometimes there are places that are hard to understand, but even more so, God's word is difficult because it's hard to take to heart. And that's why Jesus goes on here and says, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. For you see, logic dictates that if Jesus is truly the Son of God, and if he really does love me, then my life on this earth should be pretty top-notch, at least a lot better than those unbelievers. Even though maybe we know better than that, that kind of thought often underlies a lot of the struggles and emotions we go through. But faith, faith accepts whatever my Savior gives me, trusting him and his mercy to work greater good than I could ever plan out myself. And yet how tempting it is, how tempting it is uh, to, to fall away when the heartaches, the disappointments, the failures of life imprison me. And how blessed to keep on following Jesus. He's the one. 
how blessed to keep on following Jesus. And that means taking his word seriously. That's what Jesus wanted the crowds around him to be thinking about. How earnest were they about taking that message to heart? They had gone out to see something in the wilderness. Had they really thought about what they were hearing and seeing? Had they really taken it to heart? He wanted them to think about that, and he wants us to as well. How seriously do we take God's word? So he asked the crowds, what did they go out into that deserted area along the Jordan to see? A reed swayed by the wind, you know, a man with his finger in the air wanting to know where popular opinion was blowing so he could turn like a weather vane? No, John was not a man like that. He stood firm on God's word, unmovable, because he knew that God's word was the only solid foundation. Well, then, did they go out to see a man dressed in fine, soft clothes, easily influenced by the wealth and power of this world? No, such people are in palaces and not in the dungeon where John lay in his rough camel's hair. What did they go out to see? A prophet? A spokesman proclaiming the word of the Lord, heralding God's message? Yes, and even more than a prophet. For you see, John was not simply another prophet in a long line of prophets. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. There would be no one else before or after John that would do that work of preparing the way of the Lord. Even John's coming itself had been foretold by the last of the Old prophet, Old Testament prophets, Malachi. Jesus quotes that prophecy here as referring, referring to John, that he is that messenger sent to prepare the way before the Lord. Yes, as Jesus makes clear, there is no sinful man born of woman that has ever had a greater work to do than John. It was easy for the people to heap praise onto John as such a wonderful prophet and even take their time to go out and see him. It was so much easier to do that than to actually take his words to heart and put them into practice in their lives. But once that novelty wore off, their itching ears wanted to listen to something else. Now you and I, dear friends, we have the word of someone much greater than John. This book is the word of God. We defend the Bible as the inspired, inerrant, infallible words of God, the only rule and norm for our faith and life, and, and rightly so. And we want to belong to a church body that defends this truth, and rightly so. But if that's where we stop, dear friends, simply heaping praise on this book without taking its message to heart and putting it into practice in our lives, then we're worse than those crowds who simply went out to see the spectacle of John. For this message is a message for us to take to heart. It does no good if we simply go for the spectacle like those crowds did, but not really listen to it. Take the message of the word heart. For in this book, dear friends, in this book we have greater spiritual blessings than even John the Baptist experienced in this life. 
That's what Jesus is getting at here when he says here, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. The key to that riddle uh, Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 13 when he talks to his disciples and says, Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear, for I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous men, and we could include John here, longed to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. For you see, John was beheaded in prison before he saw the fulfillment of the work of the Messiah in the cross and the empty tomb. But you, dear friends, you have seen what the prophets and John had only hoped for. You have heard the fulfillment of what they had foretold, the consummation of the ages. You have shared in Christ's cross and tomb. For in baptism you were buried with him and raised to life with him. You have touched your Savior, eating his body and drinking his blood. You have seen his death, the bloody sacrifice on the cross for you. You have witnessed his victorious resurrection on the third day. You have heard the testimony of the apostles recorded in writing for you on the pages of the New Testament. Even the least of us are blessed so much more than John was. Take that word to heart, dear friends. Yes, take it to heart. Don't neglect that most wonderful message of all at this wonderful time of the year. Come and kneel again at the manger in holy awe. He comes, not in his divine majesty and glory, but in lowliness. And so also, as we follow him in this life, expect lowliness, expect hatred, expect persecution. Think of John there in prison. But follow Jesus nonetheless, dear friends, for he brings you that good news, that best news of all, that news of forgiveness to our poor souls. His word reveals to us what a wonderful Savior he truly is, your Savior, dear friend. It reveals to us that wonderful paradise of heaven he has prepared for you who persevere in faith. Yes, Jesus is the one. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.